Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the knowledge problem. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio library of podcasts on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy or who need to get up to speed on a particular issue. And so today I'm going to talk through an important illustration about how to think about policy called the knowledge problem. Now, I have to say that I approach the topic of the knowledge problem with a bit of trepidation because it's probably one of the most important concepts for anyone to grasp if they really want to be able to think about policy from a free market standpoint. It's been one of the most impactful concepts on my thinking in my career in policy. And uh, so there's a lot of pressure to get it right. And of course, I won't. So this will serve just as an introduction to the topic. And if you want to understand more about the knowledge problem, uh, a 1945 essay by Friedrich Hayek called The Use of Knowledge in Society is where this concept comes from. Uh, The essay, The Use of Knowledge in Society, is reputably the most cited article in the second half of the 20th century. And it is one of the concepts for which Hayek, H-A-Y-E-K, is most known for and most revered for. And so today I take on the burden of trying to do a short and coherent and understandable explanation of the knowledge problem. I mentioned earlier that the knowledge problem is one of the most important concepts in policy. I think it's probably one of the two most important concepts, and actually sort of one is a subset of the other. The most fundamental reality of economics is the idea of scarcity, that there's not enough of anything for everyone to have as much of it as they want. The scarcity doesn't mean everything is rare. I mean, the sand on the beach is not rare. But as Friedman once humorously said, if we put the government in charge of allocating sand, pretty soon we would run short on sand. So scarcity doesn't mean rarity. Scarcity just means there's not enough for everyone to have as much of it as they want. So there's not as much health care for everyone to have as much of it as they want. There's not as much gold for everyone to have as much of it as they want. There's not as much DVRs for everyone to have as much as they want. There's not as much cars for everyone to have as much as they want. Every service and every commodity is scarce. And this is sort of the, again, the fundamental concept in economics. Because everything is scarce, how do we allocate resources? I'm a bit of a science fiction buff. And so when you watch science fiction, like for instance, Star Trek, somehow in the Star Trek universe, they have gotten around this idea of scarcity. Uh, There's an unlimited amount of power. Uh, You can walk up to a computer and you can say, give me a cup of Earl Grey tea hot, and all of a sudden it produces it for you. So somehow in the Star Trek universe, they've gotten around this problem of scarcity. But in the real world, scarcity is a reality. And so the fundamental problem of economics is because everything is scarce, because there's not enough of anything for everyone to have as much of it as they want, 
how do we allocate things? And in a free market system, we allocate things based on the price mechanism. Uh, in communist or socialist systems, they attempt to allocate goods and services in ways other than the price mechanism. So I've gone off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but the idea here is that there are two fundamental ideas in policy. One is this idea of scarcity. And Hayek's knowledge problem is kind of a subset of that. Because what Hayek says in the knowledge problem is there's not enough knowledge to go around. There's not enough information to go around. But specifically what he says is that knowledge is not concentrated in one place. It is spread out. Uh, it is spread out throughout society. So here's the idea. The idea here is to start thinking of economics in terms of information. So for instance, you go into the grocery store and you see that there's a pint of strawberries for sale and the pint of strawberries is $2.19. So that's a price, $2.19. Now, as those of you who shop for groceries know, the price of a pint of strawberries can change from week to week. In fact, it can change from day to day. So why is that? Where does that price, $2.19, come from? And why would it change from day to day? So what you have to try to get your head around is the idea that is that a price reflects an enormous amount of information. So let's think about what it takes to get a pint of strawberries to market. That $2.19 for a pint of strawberries reflects the kind of experience that the strawberry farmer had that year. It reflects how much rain fell, how bountiful was the crop, what was the climate like? What was the price of fertilizer? What was the price of labor that was required to plant the strawberries and to weed the field and to harvest them when the time came along? What was the price of transportation to get the strawberries from his farm to the wholesaler, to the distributor? What were the taxes that he had to pay? How much did he have to pay to finance his farming equipment, his plows and his tractors and his harvesters? How much was the gas price, the fuel price, the diesel price that it took in order to truck the strawberries to the grocery store? And this is only one side of the price mechanism. Then when you get to the grocery store, the question is how well are strawberries selling? Is it hot this week? Is it cold this week? Is it July 4th when everyone wants to run out and make strawberry shortcake? All of these different factors and many more factors all lie behind that price, that $2.19 for a pint of strawberries. So you have to get your head around the idea that a price is not just a price. It's not just an arbitrary thing. A price is information. It's data. So when Hayek talks about the economy, he talks about all of the data and all of the information that is contained in an economy. So try for a moment to think about an economy as not just a way of moving around money. It's not just a way of moving around green pieces of paper. Think about an economy as a system of data processing, as a system of moving information around. And you start to get a little bit of a glimpse into how much complexity there is in an economy. So that's all sort of background for the idea of Hayek's knowledge problem. So what Friedrich Hayek explained in his famous essay, The Use of Knowledge in Society, 
is that there is a mind-boggling amount of information, a mind-boggling amount of knowledge involved in something as simple as creating and producing goods and services and getting them to consumers. It's an enormous amount of information, and it is spread out throughout the economy. No one person possesses all the information. So in my example of the pint of strawberries, for instance, the farmer possesses some of the information. The finance company that leases the equipment to the farmer possesses some of the information. The transportation company that hauls fruit and vegetables possesses some of the information. The supermarket possesses some of the information. And you as a consumer possess some of the information. Um, is there something about the, the particular humidity and temperature today when you walk into the store that makes you more or less inclined to buy a pint of strawberries? And as I said earlier, the time of year also matters. Is it 4th of July week? And are you more inclined to make strawberry shortcake on 4th of July week than you are other weeks of the year? All of this information is embedded in that price of $2.19. And all of this information is broadly distributed throughout the economy. No one person possesses all of this information. So what Hayek was trying to explain to us in this idea of the knowledge problem is that no single person and no small group of people possess all the knowledge that is necessary to manage an economy. And so this takes us to this issue of central planning versus free markets. In socialist economies, in communist economies, there's this impulse that if we get enough really smart people together in the government, they can do a better job of determining how a particular market should work or how a particular industry should work than those dirty, greasy, common people out there in the economy. And this is one of the great original sins of government. This is one of the great temptations of government is to think that the elites, the Ivy League educated bureaucrats, the professors can somehow do a better job of running the economy because they're so smart. And what Hayek reminds us of is that the economy is so complex. There's so much information out there and it is so widely distributed that no group of bureaucrats, no group of appointed or elected government officials, no matter how high their IQs or how big they think their brains are, no group of them can possess enough information and can possess enough intelligence to run an economy from the top down. So this is Hayek's argument for a bottom-up free market society. And his argument is because this information is distributed, Instead of letting people try to run it from the top down, we're better off just letting the market run from the bottom up, from the free decisions that are made in real time by consumers and by merchants and by service providers making their free choices. Shall I buy this or shall I not buy this in a free economy? Now that may seem obvious to you, but let's talk about public policy for a few minutes. Government on occasion gets this idea in its head that it knows better than the free market economy what a price should be. We see this happening in lots of regulated industries where, for instance, 
a group of three or four appointed bureaucrats in a state might take it upon themselves to decide what the cost of monthly telephone service should be or what the cost of homeowners insurance should be or what the cost of fire insurance should be. We run into this problem in healthcare where the government says, you know, the price of that prescription drug is too high. We need to do something to bring that price down. These are all examples. Even in a free market economy, these are examples of government thinking it knows better than the free market economy what the price should be. And if you really understand and get your head around Hayek's description of the knowledge problem, you understand why government is never in the best position to decide what the price should be of a particular commodity or what a, what a particular market should look like, how many providers should there be in a market or how a particular industry should be run, what technological choices should they make, what investments should they make. Hayek's knowledge problem teaches us that it is futile to try to run any industry or any market or any economy from the top down. It's just too complicated. And we know this from biology. The deeper we look into the cell, for instance, it used to be when I was in high school, we had these really simple diagrams of here's what a cell looks like. And then 20 years later, you find out that the cell is a much more complicated thing than we thought it was. The same thing is true in physics. We used to have these funny diagrams of what a molecule looked like. You know, it looked like a little mini solar system with a nucleus and then these electrons circulating around. And then we found out that molecules are much more complicated than that. And quantum mechanics is much more complicated than they thought than we thought it was. The deeper we look into anything, the more complex we find that it is. And the same thing is true of an economy. An economy is mind bogglingly complex. And so the idea that any government bureaucracy could run an economy is just ridiculous. Now, what are the implications of this? What are the implications of Hayek's knowledge problem for public policy? Well, there are many. First of all, as I suggested, it indicates why price controls are just a ridiculously stupid thing for government to do. Government should never try to set prices Government should never try to influence prices. Government should allow prices to be set by the free decisions that are made in the marketplace. It makes much more sense for prices to be determined from the bottom up than from the top down. The second thing is, is that it reminds us that elected officials and policymakers should be humble. There should be some humility involved because the fact that we elected you to a particular office does not mean we think that you are smart enough to make all of our decisions for us. If you are in a position of elected office, if you're in a position of appointed office, you have a job to do. But Hayek's knowledge problem reminds us that whatever job you have been given to do, it is so complex that you should never take it upon yourself to think you know better than other people as to how things should be run. So policymakers, elected officials, appointed officials should all have a heavy dose of humility if they truly understand Hayek's knowledge problem. Another implication of Hayek's knowledge problem is that it should inspire gratitude 
among us to our fellow man and to our fellow citizens because our lifestyle, our health, our wealth, our access to food, our access to goods is all dependent on the independent actions of all of our fellow citizens and all of our fellow Americans. It requires cooperation among a multitude of people for something as simple as a pint of strawberries to arrive in your kitchen. You didn't do that. You didn't do that all by yourself. It required an enormous amount of cooperation and an enormous amount of data processing by many different people for that to happen. So we should all have a degree of gratitude toward all of the players in the economy, the farmers, the financers, the transportation industry, the folks at the grocery store. We all play a role in this incredibly detailed and intricate ballet that results in the delivery of goods and services from producers to consumers. You know, I'm a fan of science fiction. And a famous humorous science fiction book was written by Douglas Adams called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And in one of the episodes of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there is this thing called the Total Perspective Vortex, and it's a torture device. And criminals are taken into the Total Perspective Vortex, and in one moment, they are given a view, they are given a true, accurate perspective of how complex and how big the universe is and how small and tiny and insignificant they are in proportion. And the purpose of the total perspective vortex is thus to obliterate your brain. The idea is that if you ever once can grasp how tiny and insignificant you are in a complex universe, it will blow your mind. Well, I don't want to blow any of our listeners' minds. But it is important for us to all have a proper perspective. And Hayek's knowledge problem teaches us that the proper perspective on an economy is that it is so complex, it is so involved, there are so many moving pieces and so much information in real time that it is a hopeless task for any government, state or federal, to try to manage things from the top down. So this is why we at the Institute for Policy Innovation, and why so many other conservatives and libertarians believe in the free market. Because the best we can do is have an economy that is run from the bottom up, from the free decisions that are made in real time between creators and producers and consumers. And the answer is not ever that government can do a better job of making these decisions for us than we can. Why? Because of Hayek's knowledge problem. Because there's just too much complexity, too much information for any group of bureaucrats to be able to manage things from the top down. The final implication of Hayek's knowledge problem is that there is no right side of history. You will commonly hear politicians talking about, if you do what I want you to do, you'll be on the right side of history. There is no right side of history. We don't know what the right side of history is. We make history in real time with the decisions that we make. Nothing is predetermined. We don't know what the, what the what lies in the future. We make the future with the decisions that we make in real time. Nothing is predetermined. 
There's no right side of history. There's no predetermined arc of history. We shape our history and we shape our future with the decisions that we make in real time. Now, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, the idea of Hayek's knowledge problem is so important that it's impossible for me to do it justice. I hope what I've been able to do on this IPI Policy Basics podcast is just give you an introduction to the idea, perhaps to whet your appetite to dig further into it. Again, the essay is called The Use of Knowledge in Society by Friedrich Hayek, H-A-Y-E-K, and I suggest that if you find this to be interesting that you dive into it and gain some humility and gain some gratitude and gain some appreciation of just how complex an economy actually is. You can find much more about free markets, about individual liberty, and about the complexity of free market economics at our website at IPI.org. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.